Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Dr. Joseph with us here today, who is the grandfather of baby sign language. He's one of the world's leading experts in child development and the baby sign language revolution. As parents, children apply his methods, a deeper level of engagement encompasses their relationships. His work has brought joy to thousands of families worldwide. Joseph, welcome and thank you so much for being here. It's nice being here with you. Oh, this, I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation today because I think what you do is utterly fascinating. And before we get to the baby sign language, I, I have another question I want to ask you first. So I spent sure. some time on your website and your journey of going through the time of raising the dogs and then working with the chimpanzees and then moving on to being able to work with children is utterly fascinating. And you and I talked a little bit last week on the phone, and I'm really curious with the with the intimate time that you've spent with animals, because what I found is that I, I have some of honestly my most sacred relationships I've had in my life, I hold in my life, are relationships with animals. There's something about being with them where I feel safe, I feel vulnerable, I feel like there's a there's a a linguistic communication that doesn't rely on language with them. And I'm curious with you, you know, spending all this, as much time with animals as you have, what have, what is the most important lesson about being human? Or maybe is there, what's the most important lesson about humanity that you've learned from animals? Not being human. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm halfway joking and halfway serious. You have to kind of forget, you know, we, we grow up learning things that are imposed upon us about the outside world. I, I just don't believe as though absent of those influences, we wouldn't have a different relationship with the earth and with animals. Um, I just find just by relaxing, understanding the world from an other perspective than the human perspective allows, allowed me at least to lower my guard, lower my defenses, lower my barriers that kept me from opening myself up to really having a relationship with those animals. I'm, I'm talking, when you have conversations with chimpanzees, it changes your life. We have a signboard in ASL where you have a change in pers- pers- perspective. You just, and my dogs too, after, you know, I raised them from the time that they were first born when they, I helped them, you know, during their birth until they were, you know, un- until their death. And, having that close of a relationship with them and having hands signals that they could re- rely on, respond to, and having that unconditional love that's reciprocal. They knew they could count on me and I knew they could count on them. And I love that sticker I see that, Lord help me be half the man my dog thinks I am. Huh. You know, yeah. uh, no matter how you're, how bad you're feeling, that animal is there for you, you know. It's like, as far as a domesticated animal. And in cases, wild animals too, in some cases, when you are really injured, there's many cases of animals helping other species and, and coming to their aid and having empathy. Uh, so yeah. yeah, if we could lose some of our humanity and be more animalistic <laughs> in a way, that might be a lot better. <clears throat> Do you, yeah, I, you know, I, I remember reading a story one time, well, many stories with dolphins, but there was one in particular that I remember a guy, I think over in Australia, he was out surfing 
and turns out there's a, some, a shark out there. And this pod of dolphins comes about three, four of them circle around him. And he's thinking they're over there playing with them. They circle around him for a little bit and then comes to find out later on that they're actually shielding him from the shark that was out there. Sure. Yeah. There's countless. I've, yeah, I've met Jane Goodall and of course trying to prepare for that time. I was trying to read as many animal stories about interaction, human interaction as possible. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's, uh, again, if we could just, learn to just be a little more in touch with with what with the perspective that the animal sees of the existence of the earth i think we'd be a lot better off as a species rather than trying to dominate all the time and control and yeah and destroy can you can you expand on that a little bit joseph about the perspective an animal sees the earth i think that's fascinating and i want to explore that a little bit well, more for for example like what exam what perspective because i feel like most people in and for lack of better words, they're ignorance. They just see an animal as an animal. And that the animal, there's a hierarchy and that here's humanity and then animals are down here depending on where we're at on that spectrum. But I feel like- well, you know, if, if, you see, if you see life as in a hierarchy, see that's the thing is that the way you frame life is different than the way that I see it. So that it's hard for me to comment on that. Like this hierarchy, life is life. There's, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there are people, animals, talking about hierarchy, cockroaches <laughs> will surpass all of us. I mean, come on. You know, you can't, or, or you know, that do doesn't exist. I, the idea is to live in harmony. And I'm not a, a diehard environmentalist to the point that I'm going to go hug a tree and die for that one tree. But at the same time, if I don't, that that tree's not there, I'll die. You know, so you have to find some balance. And I think that's the problem is that you got to find a balance. So. To answer your question about animal perspective, no human will ever understand truly what an animal perceives, of course. But having observed uh, closely behavior and communicating with animals in, in physical communication, not only in signs, but body language and, and the kind of, of language that animals respond to and, and rely on for the way that they, that they you know, survive, flight and fear, or trust and, and, and understand. Uh, how does a dog or a cat know to come over and cuddle you when you're feeling sad? I mean, there's so many things out there that we just don't understand. So rather than trying to uh, negate them or even embrace them, I can accept the lack of understanding at this point in my existence, mm. but I pursue the communication and that pursuit has allowed me to see that through the behavior change, and only, not only the animal, but in me, that's made me more perceptive to the world. I'm aware of what's going on around me more, I think, than, than I used to be. I can't compare myself with anyone else, but I know that my own understanding of the world post and, or pre and post my experiences with animals and sign language and babies too. You're talking about babies. Oh, to have their communication so early and see what they understand and the pure thought that they come with and the truth that they come to is just uh, awe-inspiring. So that's what I mean by, by, by perspective, is that I see the behavior change. They do communicate with me, the animals do, in sign language with, with the chimps. But again, with chimpanzees, rudimentary, basic communication, like what do you want to do? You want to play? Do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? Those kind of things. It isn't so much that. It's the language and the looking in the eyes. And once you start communicating, the behavior that you see, and um, and I don't think I'm just 
you know, inventing those, those I, I can see behavior change and the resulting behavior based on a connection that I have from time to time with an animal hmm. that it goes just beyond basic eating, sleeping and, yeah. and breeding, you know, um, because they tease you some, they, they play, they, animals know how to do a lot of different things. We just sometimes don't perceive that, I think. I love what you said there about accepting that I may not be able to understand everything, but pursuing the communication regardless. That's such an extraordinary model for just, if humanity could learn that one lesson. And, <laughs> you know, I just think about how different so many of the world at large would be. So I think this is so fascinating. And then now was, was the, was it the sign language with the babies? Was it before the animals? Was it after? Was that kind of the evolution? It went from the animals to the babies. Were they happening simultaneously? Well, I, I was, I knew sign. I, I had an experience in the, in the military before I went overseas in 1970, where a group of deaf people took me in and they kind of, for, for the weekend before I, I was getting ready to ship out. Anyway, I promised myself that if I survived the military, I was going to learn sign language because I was frustrated and I couldn't communicate with the deaf people. They gave me a fingerspelling card, you know, A, B, C, D, F, G. Mm -hmm. So I decided when I came back out of the military, I was going to learn sign, and I did. I took a class at UNR, University of Nevada, Reno. I was a ski bum at the time up on the mountain, and I was doing ski patrol and stuff and medic stuff because I was a medic also in the military. Anyway, um, I... Uh, and do doing uh, learning sign and hanging with the deaf community. I got to know Washu, the chimpanzee down in Reno. You know, he was still there by the with the gardeners who were uh, kind of caretaking that whole project. Anyway, uh, I got to meet deaf people, and they really embraced me, brought me into their community. I put earplugs in and became deaf for a while, so I could mm. really submerge and learn sign language. And this is back before it was really a, a movement. So anyway, make a long story short, I uh, learned sign quite well and uh, became an interpreter for a short time in my life, but not satisfied with that. I mean, I, I just did interpreting services. That wasn't my main thing, but I did it and interpret. And then uh, in the deaf community, I saw these little ch children, you know, pre-speech, pre-two years old, hearing children of deaf parents that could fully communicate full sentences a year before they could even, before the typically developing child could articulate the various vowels and consonants of the global languages. So I thought, well, why don't hearing people do it? Why? Because they're prejudiced against disabled people. Hmm. They're afraid if they get too close to disabled people, they might catch something. I mean, that's a hmm. broad generalization, but I, that, that's the, I was on the governor's committee for employment of persons with disabilities. And we found that, subterranean sort of attitude among people. If I'm around disabled people, will I catch something or, you know, that, I mean, it, it seems archaic, but it's still still out there somewhere. But anyway, that's one of the reasons why the, the separation from the disabled community from the uh, mainstream community, you, you see the uh, house, you know, the, the sheltered workshops on the outskirts of town. And, but now in the last 50s, 60s, 70s have been a slow integration. And nowadays it's, People think it's strange to even think in those terms. Back in those days, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was still like that. So when I did my research, I knew it was real. When I had my babies, we signed. It was great. It was wonderful. But the hearing world wasn't ready to accept that without a clinical study. And I happened to be doing a graduate program at the time. So I did a clinical study on it and proved it to the hearing world. Hey, if you sign with babies, they can communicate with you, you know, and, uh, and once I did that, I published a small manual and 
boom, it hit, you know, and next thing I know is uh, people, are, people are signing with their babies now, and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. They're getting an enormous amount of joy, and the babies are finding an enormous amount of satisfaction being able to express their needs. And the important thing of all this, if you get nothing else from this podcast, the difference between assigning family and assigning baby and when it doesn't sign is that assigning baby is navigating his environment by his internal resources. He's problem solving. He's seen his situation, responding to it with a gesture and changing the environment around him to satisfy that which he needs. A non-signing baby is riding the roller coaster of life having a bottle stuck in his mouth, being, uh, being fed one more spoonful when he's done. Not, and uh, it goes on and on and on. Not being able to tell about that earache or that sore throat or that tummy ache that he has in the stomach or whatever. Um, all those, the, seeing that cookie on the shelf or the cracker and wanting to sign, you know, cracker and getting the cracker versus the other kids going, whoa, this guy's got some skills, you know? We hear stories like that at, at uh, preschools where little signing babies will come up and sign cracker and the teacher has them a cracker. The other kid's looking like, whoa, dude, you know? Uh, not quite in those words, but, uh, but that's the reaction. You know, they become sort of little leaders, sort of little, uh, hey, I got some skills. And those skills give them the confidence to, again, problem more, uh, solve more problems, navigate life, and they become navigators and not, they make life happen. They don't let life happen to them as much because that first three years is an important cultural imprinting time. During the first three years of life, you're learning to fear or trust or, or fight or all the different things to, you know, how to live and who to look up to. Those, those are important years. And to have that communication during those first year and, a, and three months that you wouldn't have normally not only does it serve the parent well but the child is just gushing with expression and telling you things you never knew were even there that's my spiel about baby signing and i had that experience so i wanted to share that with the world so i wrote a little pamphlet on it sent it out there because i got tired of xeroxing copies off to people who were asking me about it all the time and next thing you know it's you know it's, it's a whole new thing and, uh, and now my new stuff, you know, by, the problem is that people had milk, more, and eat. And that was it. They stopped signing with their kid. Going, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like saying three words to your child their whole life, and that's it. So I said, no. So we got this new program called 14 Day, a baby sign language in 14 days. And every day I teach you a new small group of signs, four or five signs, about one event like changing a diaper or eating or taking a bath or looking out the window or whatever it may be. And uh, so by the time you're done with 14 days, you've got 80 signs that you didn't have to study for or practice. You're just doing those same four or five signs every time you change a diaper, every time you eat, every time you take a bath, you know, those type of things. So as a result, boom, you get a chance to get all these, uh, and they're right there on your device. You can push, take a bath, and up I pop, showing you how to do those signs right on the spot. Go to the next activity, and today, boom, there I am. You go back, forward, and all that. Whatever. So it's going to be a great thing. They'll give a lot of signs into the parents because the parents are the ones that need to be able to, you know, model the signs, not teach. We don't teach signs to babies. You just model the signs in your normal expressions and let the baby discover the signs on, with their own resources and express themselves. That's what gives them that 
that um, confidence and, and that practice at, at problem solving by noticing, like every time you nurse, you do that milk sign. And all of a sudden, one day they reach out and do milk and they get nursed. They go, hey, or the bottle. Whoa, this is cool. I can affect my environment. Next thing you do, they're signing milk for everything they want. So you have to, the parents, it's up to them to give them the variety of gestures so the baby knows it. Finished. When they sign, finished. And if you look at my website, you'll see a lot of babies, they sign finished a lot. Like they're done. I'm done reading that book. I'm done doing this. I'm done eating. I'm whatever it is, I'm done with that. I want to do the next thing. And that happens every two or three minutes, of course, you know, so. That's incredible. I want to that answer your question. Yeah, Joseph, <laughs> but I want to come back to babies in just a minute. I want to go back a little bit to something you said earlier. When you were, when you were going and working with the veterans, you mentioned that you put earplugs in your ears and you became deaf for a period of time. Why did you go that route? Or the deaf people, the deaf community. Yeah, yeah. Why did you go that route? Why did um, you do with the earplugs as opposed to just because well, just go take a class and they could say, why, why make it, why? Well, I was in a class. Mm -hmm. I, I was taking a class at UNR, a graduate course in ASL. It was taught by a hearing person who had learned ASL who became deaf in the military from drugs, from anti-malaria drugs. Anyway, I was in class. There was about 44 of us or so. And about the third class, a three-hour class one day a week, a group of people came in, sat down, and watched the whole class for about, oh, 30 minutes. Break time. They came up to about four or five of us and says, hey, you guys really want to learn ASL? You really want to learn sign language? He says, sure, that's why we're here. I was auditing the class. I didn't care about credit. I just wanted to learn ASL. He says, well, then forget this class. Come with us, and you'll learn ASL. I said, sure, sounds great to me. So on Wednesdays, and it'd be Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then Wednesdays, Saturdays, Mondays and Tuesdays, and Wednesdays and Saturdays. And we started hanging out, and they said, well, the first thing you have to do is understand sign language is to be deaf, because you have to understand the world from the perspective of not being able to hear sound, and you have to quit relying on your ears for information and rely on your eyes. Because when you first learn ASL expressively in daily communication, you get tired in your head and your eyes from watching communication rather than hearing communication. Mm. We don't even think about that until it happens to us. Just like do 50 push-ups and see how you feel tomorrow. You know, yeah, you can do 50 today, but tomorrow you're going to be sore. Well, your eyes get tired. Your mind gets tired really quick at the, at the beginning. It takes a while to work up to that. But the best way to do that is become deaf. And then you can really understand, not only understand, he, they wanted me to not only stand, understand ASL better, but understand the relationship between deaf and hearing communities and mm. the kind of struggles deaf people have to deal with and go through every day so they can understand how the language, our language is a summation of our culture. And so it is with ASL. That language has been an outgrowth of that culture and that culture has experienced tragedies far beyond what many other subgroups experience like uh, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, uh, you know, uh, Native, all different kind of groups that are marginalized in, in, our, in, in many societies and funny. It's, in Germany, it's the Turks and in Northern Ireland, it's the Protestants of the Catholics. I think humanity, we have tribalism among us. And as a result, we, we marginalize groups. Anyway, the deaf have been marginalized far worse than I think many groups. And you don't know unless you're in that culture and yeah. see it and live in it because it's a quiet, it's a, you know, how do you know if you're deaf or not? You, you can't see it. If you're in a wheelchair, you can see that. If you're blind, you have, you know, th those uh, 
visuals, but the deaf community don't, don't have those same things. They have sign language. And that's seen as, you know, not the most positive thing by some hearing people. It's seen as an intrusion. They can't communicate, so they feel frightened. They can't, you know, it's more of a fear of hearing people not being able to express themselves clearly to the deaf than it is a fear of the deaf people themselves. It's, mm. that, you know, it's like when you run into a person from a foreign country, you know, you're a little frightened because you can't, you can't say what you want to say, you know. Uh, there's a, a little bit of fear creeps in there, and it happens a lot with the deaf because sign language seems to be so foreign to most hearing people. You know, it's just, I'm just moving my hands around and you understand that? You know, yeah. of course you do. Just like you understand, I say the word the or the word as. What does the word as mean? <laughs> you know, or the word, you know, uh, is. What's an is, you know? Uh, so anyway. I think that's so that fascinating. I think it's so fascinating because, you know, our communication model as a society now has become almost one of, I have a mouthpiece and I'll just express it. So we become keyboard warriors where we can type out or we can vocalize an opinion, a thought, a judgment we have. And we rarely do we ever take pause like you did to actually put ourselves and give ourselves an experience of what it may be like to walk in someone's shoes. We use the expression, but we don't actually take the experience to, to go through and experience what it would be like to, well, advocate for a certain, you know, equality or certain things that are meaningful to us, but we don't really know what that's like. We, we, we become keyboard warriors almost where we're looking at statistics and saying, well, this is wrong. So let me go do something about it. But in so doing, I feel like sometimes people's messages are watered down and not as impactful because they're not speaking from experience. They're not actually giving themselves that experience of like the, the deaf people gave you. If you really want to know what it's like, have an experience of being it so you can truly understand it. I, I feel like we so much yeah, is lost. The game. Yeah, so much is lost in understanding. Unwilling to understand. Yes, yeah, so I was saying that uh, playing the game is important to understanding the game. I, I heard someone say a long, long time, time ago, um, you know, as soon as you jump out of your comfort zone and go into, let's say, another culture or a, a different group of, of people that you're not familiar with, you're, go, you're going to expose yourself to new things, new ideas, of course, and not all of them will, will stick, but some of them may be useful. And, uh, and that's what this whole baby sign language and finger spelling and uh, this whole revolution, it just came from a cross-cultural experience. Um, and I think if more people have those experiences, like you said, the computer has given us a, ch a chance to virtually see things, but the difference is seeing a strawberry or tasting a strawberry. Mm. You know, it's mm. like, you, yeah. yeah, I can look at strawberries all day, but I'd rather taste one than see a thousand, you know, and, and it takes a little bit of energy to go out and find a strawberry and taste it, but uh, I think it's worth the experience, you know, so yeah, it takes a little bit of energy to go out there and do something, there's no doubt about it, but I tell you, it's a lot of fun, the rewards are wonderful, so yeah. I want to go back to the babies now. One of the things you and I were talking about offline is how when a baby is empowered with language, which is essentially right what happens when you're, they're learning signs, not only does it change the dynamic for a baby, it changes dynamics for the parents. And you were saying, especially in some cases for the dads, because I think very traditionally dads are in that 
And I've worked with clients over this very thing over the years where they, they, they introduce a new child into their dynamic and mom feels she's got a very purpose. She's the, she's the one that the baby's most bonded with. And they, they might struggle because they feel like they're on the sidelines trying to find that space where they can sit in so they can support, but they don't feel like the connection's quite the same because they may not feel like they can talk. They may not feel like they have the commonalities, but now when they have the ability to sign and communicate, you were saying that that can really be transformative for relationships with parents, but especially with dads. Okay. I'd like to adjust your premise a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, we take people like Anderson Cooper. He has mm -hmm. a baby now. Uh, I was the guest speaker at the, the stay-at-home dads convention in Portland, Oregon about a year ago. And there was, oh, four or 500 stay-at-home dads from all over the country that uh, it's a real common thing now for dads to decide, or the family to decide that, okay, dad's gonna stay home and mom's gonna work, or they'll take shifts and do this. So that paradigm is changing a lot, and I wouldn't wanna generalize to that point, but let me just say this, as a caregiver, because we're talking nowadays, the, the nuclear family can be aunts, uncles, grandparents, neighbors, it can be, a who knows what in, in, in today's society with the pandemic going on, a lot of things are going to change forever and ever. So as a result, once you have a good stable communication system, it gives a, a sort of a transcendence to some of the problems that could come up when there's communication going on. You can uh, pass along the signs from caregiver to caregiver, from mom to dad to, to caregiver, but dads especially. Yeah, traditionally dads don't really get involved a lot with the raising of the kids that carry on these bundles of love until until the kid starts to talk. Then they get, oh yeah, you can talk now, let me know, play some baseball with them or something. No, not baseball, that was the old day, hockey or whatever. Anyway, uh, I'm ice skater, so. Um, but um, anyway, uh, with signing, yeah. Oh, hey, these dads, the dads with the, at the stay-at-home place, the ones that were signing, were talking ones who hadn't signed yet, says, oh man, are you missing out? Because really? some of these kids, I, I, when you go to my website, you'll see these kids signing full sentences when they're like 14 months old. You're talking about another seven months of good communication when sometimes seven minutes of no communication can be a tragedy in the home when a child's screaming and crying. And I, I'll tell you what, signing is not a fix-all. There's no doubt about it. You're still going to have a few crying fits and problems. The thing is, there's fewer tantrums and, you can, and they last less. The, the duration is shortened because of the communication uh so those two things are true but it, it is uh yeah dads do tend to be more involved when they have a mechanism and dads like to be the teacher anyway but remember don't teach signs you should never force being signs on a baby ever. they're all meant to be modeled as part of your normal communication you say oh yeah. i'm getting hungry it's time to eat now and you just add the gesture as you go about your, as you narrate your life. I, I recommend it in, in, in all my programs. Narrate your life to your ch child and add the sign when it's appropriate. Because children speak in one word sentences anyway when they first, you know, they'll say, dog. Well, you know, that means your pet dog who lives in that house right then, who's wagging his tail. And, you know, they just say one word. It means the whole thing. Or they want, or they'll say fire. Like on my website, you'll see my son all of a sudden just sign fire which means he wants to go over and open the stove and put a log in and watch the fire. You know, mm. one word sentences say the whole thing. Milk, I'm hungry, I would like to nourish myself right 
no. Well, they can't say that, so they just sign milk. So by offering lots of vocabulary, you're offering the kid a, a, the ability to conceptually navigate through life, but not force feed, just model so that they can, like I said earlier, accept it, learn it, watch it, see the associative factors between the gestures and what's going on. And that's what triggers that excitement for communication. And by, by narrating life, just to clarify, you mean, so if I was in the kitchen, for example, and I was going to get a, I was going to get a box of cereal or something, getting food, I would want to sign that I'm getting food as I'm getting the food. Is that what you mean by narrating? Okay. What I would say is that, well, he knows, let's say you get the child's eating c cereal. Well, there's a sign in my program called cereal. I have to do it and move back a little bit. There, there you go. Cereal, where you take and go like this, okay? So you could say to the baby, cereal, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I'm gonna open this, open that up, grab it and put it down. Here's the cereal and you pour it. So you just say what you're doing and you add a sign once in a while. Now I, I added a bunch because I know a whole bunch of signs, but in this case, I just signed maybe cereal and where? You know, to plant in a child the idea that something's not there and where is it is a really good concept to slowly, like, where's mama? Where's mama? Mm. Oh, there's mama. You know, you point over there. Or my glasses. Where are they? Oh, here they are. And you pick them up and put them on. And you do that after about a dozen of those times, the children's going to understand that where means you're looking for something. And you can take a ball or a shoe and put the shoe behind you on one side go, where's the shoe? Mm. And they crawl around and get the shoe. You give them a hug, set them down. You put the shoe on the other side. Where's the shoe? And they crawl around and get the shoe, pick them up, mm. give them a hug. And, you know, they love that kind of interaction. And it's showing them signs without teaching, but playing a game. And they're learning concepts like absence of something's not there. And that you can go and, and, and find something and bring it out and get a reward for it because you, you demonstrated that you understand communication. And it's a good reward. It's a hug from Papa or mama, or auntie, or grandpa, whatever. And there's all kinds of things you can do to introduce signs during activities and never teach a bit. Just add the gesture, let the baby discover it, use it, and change their environment, and voila, it's just like, wow. I mean, my grandson has 70, 80 signs, and he's just popping stuff out all. He tells, he teases me, tells me stuff I, I, I don't know, like there's a, there's a bee, there's, there's a bee, so I saw a bee in the car one time. There's a bee. So I got the bee. And then all of a sudden he said, bee again. He said, yeah, I got the bee. He said, no, he kept on saying, bee, bee. He said, oh, you got the bee. He kept on saying, bee. I look up, it was a second bee. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. That's incredible. Joseph, we only have time for one more question. I think this is so fascinating. And what I appreciate so much about you is your ev the, the passion you have for what you're doing is so evident. You are such a, <laughs> yeah, such a, an expressive and passionate soul. And I think it's so incredible to see, to see that, that I, I love it when I see someone who literally comes alive when they talk about what they do. And my last question is going to be this with somebody who's so clearly passionate and someone who clearly loves what they're doing. Do you, what is your goal for, for this, you know, over the next year, two years, five years, is it, 
what does that even look like? Because I want I want people to understand, you know, how they can support you, how they can look into it. Like, what what does that look like? Is it is it that babies are learning? Is sign language a part of school? Is it a part of daycare systems? Is it a, is it something that when a parent goes to a hospital and they have a child and maybe the hospital gives them a, you know, things to expect temp, you know, pamphlet of things for new parents. And in that is, that, that, what does that look like for you? You know, I focus on my current research. You know, I also have a day job, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, I've, I've developed, I've done this research. I've been out in the world. I've lectured, I've traveled the world. Now with, pandemic and everything things have changed a lot I'll be doing these type of things more probably uh, you know but I also I'm a grant writer and fundraiser for the Northwest Indian College you know I um, I also write as a volunteer grant writer for the local uh, coal pad skate park in Glacier Washington I try to keep volunteering in my community in various ways work to make society a better place uh, that kind of keeps me going. You know, I've, I've got student loans till I'm 82. Um, you know, I went back to school to get my doctorate when I was 50. So, uh, you know, I've, I've got to work till I'm 82 to, to pay those, those off. Still 140,000 bucks. Um, so how, how, how can people support me? Just enjoy my products that are really, you know, they're down to 1495 for an entire sign language program. I tried to make it so that it's affordable for everyone. It's a download on your device. It's high tech. You just push a button and watch it right there. Now, I'm trying to make it as, as accessible as I, as I possibly can. Um, PTAs for schools can get our, uh, our, our fingerspelling package for their kindergartens and preschools. That would help a lot to, to get those out there. But, you know, it isn't about that. They can support me by having a good time and enjoying this. I mean, I get stopped every week on the street, used to when I was out on the street, by a mom or dad who's saying, hey, you're the baby guy. You know, it's, oh, thank you for, you know, for making, giving us this baby sign language. Says, you know, thank me, you did the sign language. I, you know, I just, I did it and it was great. I just said, well, here, here, here here's, a, here's the, the, the map. If you want to follow the map, you get the, the, the prize at the end, you know, the treasure. And the treasure is your child. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah. I love that. Everyone, rewatch, re-listen. There is such a wonderful collection in here of, of wisdom, of insights, whether it's understanding <laughs> communications, whether it's, it's looking at the simple lessons that animals can teach us about having a deeper understanding or reworking the communication model that we use in our day-to-day -day life with our maybe some of the people that are closest to us to acknowledge that there's maybe things that we don't understand, but accept that, embrace it, don't be afraid of it, and then pursue communication with it. To look at how communication can be really so critical in forming relationships to allow yourself to experience the gifts of an experience to walk in the person's shoes, not just assume that you understand it, but actually go out of your way to put yourself in their shoes to the best of your ability. So you can really understand from an experiential standpoint, what it is that you're trying to do, trying to change, trying to work towards the notion of if your parents out there wanting to be parents, grandparents, or you know somebody who has a young child and you'd like to communicate or improve their communications with that young child, the notion that 
the simple act of teaching them how to communicate, to giving them and empowering them with language, just so to speak. I love what Joseph said. It's really the treasure of it all. And to learn to enjoy it more, you know, imagine the joy that comes when you have a, a moment of connection with a loved one that's facilitated by communication. And I can only imagine how that joy must be amplified if it's with a young child. Not only that, but how empowering it must be to know that you can empower your child to be able to communicate. So when, they, when they're having their own human experience, you're not having to guess what they need or what you need to do. You're allowing them to tell you and guide you. And one of the things I really love about this too is it's just, it creates a wonderful framework for us to just have more fun in our life whether we're teaching in our young children and narrating our life, what a concept it would be to narrating our lives for our partners or whether it's romantic or otherwise, because oftentimes we go through so much life assuming that they should just know it all and understand exactly what we're thinking, feeling, and acting, but we all know that's not quite the case. And maybe there's something even more that the young ones can teach us, not just about how the thrill of communication, the joy that comes with transmitting through sign language, but what it means just to communicate a little bit more, to enjoy one another that much more. Joseph, this has been absolutely incredible. What a gift this has been. I thank you so much for sharing, for being here. And I look forward to just your message getting out and helping lots more people around the world. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. We'll see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to